Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It is said that there are nine arts. And what if video games is the 10th? I'm Charles Adam Foster Simard from Ubisoft. You're listening to The 10th Art, a podcast series about the place of video games in entertainment culture and society. When we were preparing this season of The 10th Art, I knew one of the topics I wanted to tackle was artificial intelligence. It's a concept that's been around for my entire life and one that has always been intertwined with the evolution of video games. But now it feels like we've come to a turning point in AI, especially in the field of generative AI. Technology that can create original content like texts, images, video, or audio based on millions of existing files. New software like Dolly and Stable Diffusion have made a splash this year for their ability to create images from any text prompt. This fall, generative AI startups attracted hundreds of millions of dollars in investment. It's certainly one of the hottest things in Silicon Valley right now. But generative AI also poses a lot of interesting questions for creators, artists, programmers, the kind of people who work in video game studios. Challenges around ethics, creation, ownership, but also safety and bias. To explore this topic, I invited Yves Jacquier, executive director of Ubisoft La Forge, our R&D department, as well as Dr. Sacha Lucioni, a research scientist at Hugging Face and an expert on AI and machine learning technology. So I'm here now with Eve and Sasha. Thank you so much for both joining us today. Thank you. Hello. Our hey, Sasha. Our pleasure. <laughs> hey. Maybe we can begin just by introduction. So I'll start with you, Sasha. If you can just briefly introduce yourself, um, what you do, and, and maybe how you got into the world of AI as well, how you became interested in that technology. Sure. So uh, my name is Sasha Luccioni. I'm a research scientist at Hugging Face, and I work on um, essentially evaluating uh, AI models, algorithms, and trying to see how they impact society and the environment. Um, and I got, got into AI... Almost 10 years ago, I, I did a first internship, um, and it was in uh, extracting um, extracting information from Wikipedia, essentially trying to buy, build knowledge graphs uh, by uh, scraping Wikipedia and kind of extracting uh, sentences. And it was very, uh, I guess, uh, old school at the time. Now there's much smarter ways of doing it, but that's where I learned how to program and um, how to do, uh, I guess, ba basic AI approaches. Super interesting. So AI via Wikipedia. Exactly. More or less. <laughs> and what about you, Eve? So I'm uh, Eve, and I'm uh, executive director of uh, Ubisoft LaForge, which is uh, Ubisoft's own uh, R&D department. Uh, we started six years ago. And um, basically what happened is that a while ago, I think it was in 2009 or 10 or something, uh, we were discussing, you know, I really wanted with universities, with productions, and we really wanted to make sure that uh, as Ubisoft, we would be ahead uh, of the technical innovations. And at that time, uh, I had discussions with uh, people at uh, Université de Montréal on a new topic that was emerging, starting to have uh, some sort of results called machine learning, mm -hmm. actually. And um, that was using a lot of data to 
basically generate new content. And uh, because we have a lot of data, I started to get more and more interested on what it can do, but also all the uh, limitations. And um, it was concrete when we started a, um, a chair with uh, Joshua Benjo in 2011, uh, thus uh, uh, leading to the creation of La Forge, where we uh, we learned a lot working with uh, Joshua on, on the topic. And uh, that's why we, we decided to go further and create La Forge for that. And I know over the years, there's been a lot of research papers and really interesting prototypes and all kinds of interesting technologies coming out of La Forge. Um, and then being used in, in game production, but also sometimes just advancing like scientific research into into these topics, right, Eve? Well, we contribute to. We are not. Um, we want to make sure that Laforge bridge the academic world mm -hmm. with uh, Ubisoft. So we want to work with uh, researchers who are uh, you know who create knowledge or who uh, that's their objective to create public knowledge. And we want to facilitate that by providing them access to our data, our expertise, our infrastructure. When we can contribute uh, to uh, creating public knowledge uh, ourselves, we definitely do it. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say that we are playing in the same league uh, as mm -hmm. researchers. Um, before we dig into the conversation of of AI and 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 what it can do for video games and also what it's you know what we're hearing as well kind of outside of video games right now, especially with generative AI, I just want to make you know I just want to go a little bit clearer into some of the some of the terms, especially I think artificial intelligence and machine learning, which you dropped yourself, Eve. So can you define in your own words and and in layperson's terms what is artificial intelligence and what is machine learning for you? And maybe we can start with you, Eve. Okay, um, to me, it's a system, whatever that is, that takes human-grade decisions. But the issue with this definition is that it's something that evolves uh, in time. Mm. Think about that. Uh, spell check, for example, today you consider that as a feature uh, in you know whatever editor you're using. Uh, while it would have been considered as pure witchery at uh, Gutenberg's time. So it shows that it evolves as we uh, better adopt uh, those, uh, those systems and technology that somehow assist uh, us. Today, when you hear AI, it's often a word used in place of a very specific discipline of artificial intelligence and computer science called machine learning. What's new here is that instead of coding the results, uh, if this happen, then do that, mm -hmm. the idea is to create rules based on data that represents many different examples of what you want to achieve. That would be my way to, to put it. Yeah, very clear. And we're going to dig into that in a minute, maybe using video games as an example. But Sasha, do you have anything to add in terms of like just base definitions? <laughs> I think that it's useful to uh, to add that artificial intelligence, the term has existed since the 50s, the 1950s, mm. and the goal was really to imitate human intelligence using machines. And it's evolved a little bit since, definitely, but um, I guess the intention has been around for a while. And uh, Eve, you mentioned AI and, I, uh, and and how it's sometimes, you know, maybe misunderstood or only one part of it is, is understood uh, and it's kind of a more of an umbrella word. And I know when we talk about video games, often we talk about AI, but what we're really talking about is like NPC behavior, enemy behavior, right? We hear players complain that the 
NPCs aren't realistic and how they, you know, see the player if you're doing a stealth game or if enemy NPCs aren't aren't reacting correctly if you're in a shooter game, for example. So can you talk a little bit about, yeah, is that a kind of a misnomer calling that AI in video games? And and how is AI actually used in video games at the moment? Okay, there, uh, you're totally right. I mean, most of the time when in the industry or the gamers uh, themselves use the word, the word AI, uh, it's in place of uh, NPC, of the non-playable uh, characters. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and their behaviors and the, the way that uh, apparently they react to uh, the, 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 the gamers' uh, inputs. Uh, the thing is that, what's interesting though, is that most of the time uh, when gamers relate to AI, uh, it's more they uh, relating to the manifestation of AI. So, for example, sometimes there's a problem in the animation, mm. not necessarily in the AI, but that's what the gamers see. Uh, however, uh, to to answer the question in terms of where it's used, uh, it's used the, the way we structure that is uh, to be used in three different with three different targets. The first target is. Uh, creator's assistance. And the idea is to help creators doing the more repetitive or less valuable tasks, for example. Um, If you want to create a a large variety of faces in a crowd and be true to the real variety that you would find in real life, Mm -hmm. uh, it could become very repetitive. So that's when uh, uh, automated methods brought by um, machine learning uh, are very uh, valuable. The second in, is when it comes to creating more believable words, because machine learning does not require to implement rules, the uh, if this, then that. It's way easier to scale, for example. Mm-hmm. If you want to add more diverse animations for uh, or, or different environments, for example. Um, finally, it can also impact the, the, the player's experience directly. For example, uh, if you want to predict that two players should be matched because of their gaming abilities profiles. Or another example is to spot uh, harmful content online within mm-hmm. our chats, for example. And that's when AI is targeted to uh, enhance the player experience. And in the last example, for example, it's because the machine learning would be able to adapt and learn if there are new words or or or, or ways that players are using to kind of try to counter or, or avoid um, those rules regarding harmful content that they that they could be communicating in the game chats, for example, right? Yes, th- that's definitely part of it. Most of the tools from the shelf uh, that you find are either too generic mm-hmm. or are based on dictionaries. And we right. know that it's very easy to, to b- bypass uh, dictionaries. And yeah, all you need uh, to do is change is- a character or whatever and... Exactly, and, and and you need to update that all the time. And plus, it doesn't scale. Mm. You need to do that in any languages. You need to also take into account the, the context as well. Because, for example, uh, I'm, you, uh, if a player says, I'm going to take you out, uh, it can be part of a fantasy of a, uh, of a shooter game. While in other contexts, it might be simply a, a threat or not acceptable. So this is... Uh, the, why such techniques in terms of uh, scalability uh, becomes uh, very uh, interesting. And how do you use uh, machine learning to, to figure out what the intention is? Oh, we're working on that, uh, actually. We are, uh, <laughs> I'm uh, curious. No, no, it's a very good question. We have uh, started a, a project uh, focusing on uh, chat lines. 
uh, actually. Uh, and we want to first um, detect uh, any type of uh, harmful content. We have created a prototype that uh, is able to detect uh, roughly 80%-ish of uh, harmful content out of the uh, entire uh, data set of examples, uh, I would say. And now we're working on two different aspects. One which is uh, refining um, the uh, the understanding of the context of the game. What's what's the context of the chat lines uh, to make sure that we do not have too many false positives, for examples, and that we're able to refine the type of harmful content. Uh, I mean, is it a threat? Is it a uh, I don't know, uh, an insult, uh, an insult or, or whatever. Mm. Um, it, so that's one aspect. We also work on making sure that we do not introduce bias into that, uh, because maybe in some culture, some linguos uh, or some expressions might, you know, uh, be understood differently, uh, mm. whether it's uh, uh, from different cultures or from uh, different uh, crowds, uh, basically. Um, and we uh, have recently announced a project with um, with Riot Games. Uh, it's a joint uh, R&D project, actually, um, to exchange data. Uh, because obviously, the issue that we have is that we do not have enough examples of some specific harmful content. So we are working on sharing that, but uh, while preserving uh, privacy and confidentiality, mm. uh, obviously, and find a blueprint to do that. And then, out of that, be able to train um, uh, different type of models. I want to go back to the first example you used for, for AI and game development, which was, let's say, an artist creating or assisting a, an artist in creating many different faces for, for characters in a game, for example. That sounds to me a little bit like generative AI, which is something that I, at my level, have heard a lot about this year with things like Stable Diffusion and Dolly last summer, which is essentially right. you can, for, for image generation anyway, you can just input whatever text I could input octopus uh, typing on a keyboard uh, in the sky, and these AI models would, would generate images that fit that description, basically. Um, uh, Sasha, why I'd like to ask you why we've been hearing so much about this this year. Like, do you, do you feel that these AI technologies are kind of at a turning point right now? Well, they've gotten really realistic. I guess a couple of years ago, we had uh, GANs or Generative Adversarial Network. So you could, for example, train uh, a GAN on a set of uh, images of people, faces, mm. um, and then it will generate other faces, but it won't generate something that you can't say like, you know, a, a woman with glasses and freckles, like, or the blue hat, you can't say that to again, it's just kind of, you can do some guided stuff, but it's right. quite complex. Whereas now you can really, you can use a, a, a stable diffusion or, or uh, any of those similar models, you can use them almost like a, a paintbrush, right? Like mm. you can imagine something that you want to see, and then you can use it to paint and they've gotten quite realistic. And so that's why people I think um, they, it captured the imagination of people because, I mean, text, of course, yeah, it's cool when you can like talk to GPT or, you know, it, resp it responds to you in some way. But this is really creative. It's, it's a new, it's a new um, modality that people are excited about. Now, you're both in this field. What is, what is your reaction to this technology? Do you, do you look at the limitations? Do you have questions? What are, what are you kind of interested in? I think that it's such a new technology that we don't really know its limitations yet. And um, so, for example, in terms of uh, content, I mean, safety filtering of content. So 
We've been working at Hugging Face to figure out like, so Hugging Face is a platform where people upload models and data sets essentially, and it helps um, sharing, it helps you know versioning, things like that. Um, the GitHub of AI. Uh, so people upload, for example, stable diffusion, and we want to help them understand like what this model can and can't do, mm. uh, what are, what is what is really like things that you should and shouldn't use it for, maybe, um, and and like what are some approaches that we can help to make sure that people are um, protected to some extent from harmful content, kind of like what Eve was saying. But so there's a there's a difference because if someone say prompts stable diffusion with prompts that's violent or sexual, and the model generates that, um, that's like one case where you can say, okay, well, I want like some you know whatever murder. Um, and it generates murder, but that's kind of something that you've, you've sought out. Um, and on the other hand, it's when you have, you know, uh, when you're just saying, you know, a man walking in the street and all of a sudden it, it generates someone who's, who's, you know, violent or killing someone. Right. And that's something you don't want. But that's a fine line to, I mean, th that example was, was, was maybe not particularly precise, but there are certain terms that do generate content that could be very sexual. Yeah. Um, for example, terms like stepmother, stepsister, actually generate a lot of nudity and you know oh. it, probably people aren't looking for this but you know if you have like i don't know you're playing around you're like hey my step my stepmom in a park with whatever with my brother and then yeah. all of a sudden you have nudity you're not expecting that and it's important to to kind of draw the lines of, of where the models uh do can generate harmful content so this is what we've been focusing a lot and trying to understand essentially are there ways of protecting people are there ways of helping you know, filter out not safe content, uh, and, and what are some techniques either like during the process where people are interacting or, or after the images have been generated um, to filter out things that people wouldn't want to see, essentially. Eve, what has been your point of view or, or what have you been interested in, uh, in in taking a look at with these kinds of technologies? So far, we uh, were trying to understand the, um, the, the real limitations. Uh, what's a fair usage of that? I mean, beyond the the creation and everything that uh, Sasha was uh, was saying, how to make sure that we can provide safe content and uh, making sure that uh, you know we, we are able to uh, provide really what people uh, would uh, ask for, just like mm -hmm. you're using a search engine casually today. Uh, what we're trying to understand is what are the limitations of such uh, techniques, for example, whether it's in terms of quality, and uh, each uh, month, I mean, uh, maximum, you have a new uh, uh, enhancement algorithm product uh, in this area. So it's going extremely fast and you have a, a lot of uh, uh, investments being done. I mean, we're talking about billions. So it explains also why it's going uh, so fast. However, um, our take is really when should it be used and when should it not be used? And there are questions of... Um, of, of data management, rights, fairness, and all of that, plagiarism, bias, for example. Let me take an analogy. Uh, for example, let's talk about music. If you take samples of a, another song, uh, it is a song both from a legal and artistical point of view. If your own input as a creator, as a yeah. musician, creates a new proposition out of that. Otherwise, it's called plagiarism, yeah. right? Just you, you, you copied something. Now, imagine a world where there is no legal frame to use samples, a world where the uh, only songs that would be available are, let's say, uh, disco songs that are sung by males in German. Uh, new songs that you would create out of that would likely be disco songs and probably with you know German uh, voice stems, for example. 
And those generated songs would be added as well to the available uh, data set, to the available sample. So in other words, if we do not pay attention to the data diversity bias as well, uh, but also the responsible and fair usage, yeah. uh, I mean, if not legal, uh, we live soon in a world where everybody can generate German disco songs and nobody can make a living out of it. Yeah. Uh, so it's really the kind of thing that we're trying to uh, making sure when we um, understand, uh, you know, the output of uh, of those uh, of those systems, just to make sure that we remain fair with the creators who inspired uh, those um, those outputs. I mean, there's several thorny issues that you bring up there. And one, for sure, I've read about some artists, right, who who I guess their art ended up online. And so it's kind of part of the data set for these tools. And so if you put in their names, uh, you end up with art created by these AIs that, that look just like theirs or that are clearly kind of using some of their some of their art, right? So there's definitely like a copyright question there and a fair use question. Um, I'm really interested in the the question of bias as well, because you brought it up, Eve, and, and Sasha, I, I've looked a little bit on your Twitter, and I've seen some interesting examples where you're kind of testing these models for bias as well. Yeah, it's uh, so part of uh, our mandate, I guess, is, is to understand the biases of the models that people upload. And so yeah. I've been trying to look at different um, different diffusion models, so different image generation models, text image generation models, and, and comparing them, I guess the the idea is not so much of, of producing a score or any kind of uh, kind of absolute metric, but to say, well, this one has a bit more diversity. This one, um, I don't know. Uh, for example, uh, you can see uh, which images were filtered out. I mean, even if you don't really know why, you can see like, well, this particular term triggered uh, the safety filter in this model. Right. So essentially, you're trying to figure out um, what they what like how these models, as 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 Eve said, like I mean, they're they're trained on pretty relatively diverse data, not diverse enough, I guess it's never never is. So there is some diversity, but the thing with machine learning models is that they tend to learn patterns. I mean, that's kind of what they do. Um, and so for example, if an image, a text to image model was trained on, um, for example, images of doctors, it can be that 95% um, of these images are men and 5% are women, right. but the dominant pattern is men, uh, for example, white men. And so um, models tend to kind of hone in on what constitutes kind of the pattern of a category or the pattern of a population. Yeah. And they'll actually tend to make that 95 into 100 um, unless you kind of train it with specific mechanisms, with weighting and things like that. I mean, there are techniques, but but typically if you just like put the data in, it's going to learn the dominant pattern. Right. And that's kind of the problem because of course you can say, well, these models are, are mirrors of society, but it, it, they're, they're a bit, they're um, carnival mirrors to a certain extent. Right, it's more they complicated. They exaggerate what, what already exists as biases in our society, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, and it's true for anything. Like if you train a model on any kind of imbalanced data, it's quite hard to get the model to focus on the minority class. And and this is true for any kind of, of model, even with numerical data. If you're working with numbers and you have a class that's like 10% of the of the of the data set you're working with, it's hard to get the model to really learn uh, what makes that class that class as opposed to another one because um, you know, there's less samples. Uh, the other one is kind of dominating. It's it's kind of more present, and so this is kind of like a well-documented problem. But since text-to-image models are so new, we don't really know uh, to what extent they reflect or amplify bias. Fascinating. 
What are some of the other ethical concerns that you're looking at for for these models that you're kind of st- studying to make sure, well, to 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 see, yeah, what where the where the concerns are and and where we need to look at and correct those. Well, something that we're looking at that's, I guess. I, it's an ethical concern um, is uh, how to mark these images so that people know that they're fake. Because, oh. I mean, maybe now you can still tell, you can still fi- kind of see that these are not, I mean, sometimes it's very, very uh, realistic to the point that you really can't tell. But, um, you know, right, maybe we're not quite there yet. But, you know, in I would say six months, we would be in a situation where you can really say, you know, I don't know, Sasha doing something that Sasha didn't really do, right? And then someone posts that on the internet and it's, you know, if you find this image somewhere uh, out of context, um, how do you have, how do you know it's been generated? And so, for example, what OpenAI has been doing, they've been putting a little, um, like, a rainbow bar essentially at the bottom of the image, but people have been cropping that out, right. like, obviously, right? And you don't want to put something um, that's, like, in the middle of the image because people tend to want to see the image. And so uh, we've been trying to figure out if there's, like, invisible watermarks that you can put um, so that they're not visible when a human looks at them, but if you run them through, like, a program... You can check if like a certain pattern is present like on a pixel level, but it's it's kind of very subtle. You're you're modifying pixel values in a very kind of way that humans can't can't see the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way, for example, if a journalist or a policymaker or someone finds an image, um, they can try to check whether this image is, has been ge- generated and, and which which model, for example, has has generated it. Um, and of course, none of these uh, methods are are perfect because uh, you know if you wanted to, you could remove the watermark, but you know, the idea is like, okay, if someone is technical enough to do that, it's hard to stop them. But, yeah. you know, if it's just a random image in a random, in a random place, um, we want to give people the tools so that they can check the provenance of that image and, you know, kind of fact check it. We're talking a lot about images and, and you know, I also don't want to just focus on images because um, these kinds of AI are also there for audio, for video, so we're seeing them also in other because you you were mentioning like something that Sasha didn't do, but then you know something that Sasha or a politician or whatever didn't say as well, right? Uh, potentially, we're going to see these models um, be very realistic in what they can create and recreate in terms of a video and audio, which which I think brings in potentially even trickier area. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that for audio. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say, I guess. I, I'm hoping people will get more, uh, not really suspicious, but a bit more critical. Right. Uh, and will fact check. But because I mean, like, you know, now if we see an image of like, uh, I don't know, like a world leader holding a sign and then it says like, whatever, let's start a nuclear war. You know, people tend to like try to go and figure out whether this is a real image. I mean, of course, not not everyone. Not, a lot of it is, is becoming, I guess, more wary of the provenance of content. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's it's like, the thing is with with machine learning is that it's very distributed. It's it's of course there's like some some dominant players, but you know anyone with sufficient voice samples of of any person can develop a very um, realistic uh, imitation algorithm. And so so it's really hard. It's like it's like you can't control people um, who do things that are harmful or potentially harmful. Yeah. Eve, anything to add on this perspective? Oh, I, I totally agree with uh, everything that uh, Sasha just said. The, uh, now the technology uh, is is really uh, able to uh, trick us, uh, and uh, then it's it's way more a question of usage because uh, everything you know in terms of uh, watermarking or trying to find technical solutions to the technical problem, I think won't be uh, sufficient uh, because there's always a trick that bypass you know the the trick and and which is why it's a very uh, complex problems. 
So uh, it's way more a question of usage, and it's also a question of uh, raising awareness, uh, making sure that you know uh, those technologies are now at these levels. I, I don't have a solution. It's extremely complex because it's not a technical answer. Uh, we cannot have a solely a technical answer to that. It's a lot of education. Uh, it's a lot of raising consciousness of the the uh, the, the you know the fact that it can hurt people mm. that uh, when some people uh, create nude pics for example from uh, other people uh, with such technologies uh, it, it's not only is it, it's bad uh, it's unethical but it's it's hurting real people so it's a kind of a, of uh, raising you know consciousness of uh, everybody that you know what is the kind of world we want to live in well, these are interesting, really interesting concerns. And, and you know, you, I think you've offered some kind of potential solutions or some, some areas of, of solution. I'd like to continue on maybe a more positive note. And, and I'll ask you both the same question, which is, you know, what, what area of AI or machine learning are, are you most excited about? What's the thing that you're looking out for um, that you have your eyes on and, and that really, yeah, gets you really excited and, and hopeful for what's coming next and for the future? Uh, I'll bring it back to you, Sasha. So I've been involved with uh, an organization called Climate Change AI for the last, uh, I mean, I think almost three years at this point. And it really gives me hope because it brings together people from the AI community and, and actually other communities like the biodiversity community, the ecology community, and, um, and essentially tries to find ways of using these AI, like these cool AI techniques, but in a way that's kind of climate positive and planet positive. And we really started gathering kind of mass, like critical mass. I feel that we we have like, you know, hundreds of people involved at this point. And every year, like we organize a workshop and more and more people submit. And I, I really see like the the the, connect, the connections being made. Um, at, at the beginning, it was kind of, you know, we were trying to show people, oh, look, you can do this with that. And oh, look, there's data here. You can use AI to analyze this data instead of doing it by hand. And uh, I think it's starting really to, to stick. And, you know, people come up to me and they say, oh, like I, I read a paper or I, I read like the website or something. And mm. now I'm like using my skills in reinforcement learning or computer vision uh, to detect, you know, deforestation in, in the Amazon. And I, I find that, you know, really great because people channel their technical expertise in, um, in a direction that's good for society, I would say. Mm. And becoming maybe more and more creative also with what they can do with the tech, right? Exactly. And what about you, Eve? Yeah, I totally agree. What's fascinating is that... Uh, it's going very fast, still going very fast in, in, in what's happening now, machine learning in general. And uh, we've seen many uh, good examples where um, it, it creates bridges with other disciplines, uh, whether it's uh, climate experts or artists who uh, still uh, are, are experts of their own domain, but now have uh, new toolings, new possibilities. It's unlocking many different things. So it's, when it's targeted for the greater good, it's just fantastic. Uh, for us and for our industry, I really um, think that it's, it's going to um, unleash creativity through more accessible tools, for example. Um, and that will accelerate creativity for both uh, seasoned artists, I think, or designers, but also for uh, amateurs, if I uh, reuse the uh, songs and, and sample analogy, if we have diverse and quality samples, if we have very accessible tooling, everybody can create a decent song. And uh, people 
who could not do it uh, would see their creativity unlock and would be able to express uh, themselves, while seasoned musicians can probably accelerate the path from the idea to the final song or product or music uh, while being able to iterate and explore at scale as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I see uh, this as uh, unlocking uh, things that were not possible before. And uh, our work is to make sure that we, it's unlocked for, for the, uh, well, to enrich uh, the experience of people and, and, and to create values uh, and not uh, be harmful. So when you think about user-generated content, it means that, you know, soon everybody will be able to create 3D content to put in virtual worlds because mm. the tooling, the, the, the processes and, and the data uh, will be uh, accessible. With a simple smartphone today, you can scan a chair, for example, and put that in a uh, virtual environment in a matter of minutes, even though you're not a, a 3D model specialist. Yeah. I love that because I think for me, video games has always been, or I've always seen it as uh, technology and art coming together, right? You had obviously the tech side of, of just how it's built and how it's made and the interactivity of it. And then the, the artist side where you have obviously artists and designers and, and uh, of course, composers and so forth and, and, and actors. But it's like what you're saying now is this technology is almost... Um, it's like underlying the creativity itself. It's like unlocking further creativity and then even bringing that to the players and, and allowing them to create and them to have their hand in, in creating the worlds that they want to see and that they want to play in. Yeah, yeah, totally. But to be able to, to reach that and to put that in this direction, we just need to make sure that uh, we take care of, you know, whatever is lies behind those yeah. technologies. So, so that otherwise, we'll just end up with... Uh, uh, disco songs in German, which is cool, but you know. <laughs> well, it's a fascinating and sometimes mind-blowing topic. So, Eve and Sasha, I want to thank you both for joining us today and, and help uh, shine a little bit of a light on, on these technologies, uh, which we'll be, you know, following uh, with a lot of interest in the future. So, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Sasha. To learn more about Ubisoft's homegrown tech, including research in AI and machine learning, visit ubisoft.com technology. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Tenth Art. Make sure you don't miss any of our episodes as they come out. Subscribe or follow us wherever you get your podcasts, ubisoft.com slash The Tenth Art Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.